kids, and uh, we're hoping that our youngest, who's now a senior in high school, gets into UVA. So be praying for Harrison uh, that by April 1st he finds out that he gets into UVA. And if so, we'll have more reasons to come up here. We already have, have uh, Madeline up here, so uh, we're fired up about that. So grateful to how you guys take care of the campus ministry as well. You know, I know that's a whole whole village type, you know, thing there. Um, and then uh, our oldest, Colton, um, he went to Tech for a few years. He's back at home right now, and he's got a full-time job. So he's also learning about budgeting uh, as well. So a um, little about my background, both uh, Gabrielle and myself have roots in kind of accounting and finance. Um, I got a finance degree from the Commerce School here. Um, I did, I, I was in the Navy for four years, and then, yeah. and then after that, yeah, and a new, new mark when I was in, in the Navy, yeah. and, uh, but, uh, but anyway, um, then I, I, after getting out of the Navy, I did some production management out in Indianapolis, I uh, was part of the church there, and then the church hired me to be their administrator, so I did administration for a while, I got my uh, CPA while I was administrator, and then I uh, was hired by Hope Worldwide and was an administrator for them for a little while um, before ultimately coming down to Virginia Beach. And now I'm not in a job that has much at all to do with finance. Um, I now, I'm in placement, so I place uh, military veterans in the civilian jobs. So, um, so I guess that's kind of finance. I help them get a job and be able to pay their bills. So yeah. uh, that's what I do. Um, Gabrielle is a teacher and uh, her uh, normal teacher day to day she's going to be back there grading papers um, so she'll be available later to answer questions and, and things like that so today's uh, thing is going to be um, primarily practical um, on purpose so I know Paul Hutchins was up here and I did a midweek and you guys have and I've, I've been here before as well so you've had different you know the, you can't really separate you know, everything's spiritual you know being disciplined and your budget everything is has a spiritual context to it. Um, so when I say it's going to be more practical and spiritual, I mean that we're not going to spend our whole time looking at scriptures, you know, about budgeting. We're going to focus more on the practical side um, because that's what um, Drew said was kind of the need. And again, on the heels of, uh, of Paul's time here. Um, so kind of the layout of it is I'm going to talk through some budgeting, um, just kind of some practicals, um, some do's and don'ts. Um, it'll certainly be interactive if you have questions along the way or suggestions. Um, things like that, you know, I'm certainly not the expert, um, but can certainly facilitate the uh, discussion. And, uh, and then, so I'll talk for a while, and then uh, Andre is going to come up and tell us more about insurance. Yeah. So it's always very, very valuable to know yeah. about insurance. You'll, you'll deal with insurance your whole life, uh, so you may as well, you know, add to what you already know or learn what you don't know, um, and uh, that'll be very helpful. And then, uh, and then, time permitting, which uh, hopefully we'll have some time, then we want to try to facilitate like some groups to actually work on your budget. Um, and you may be in different, I'm sure everyone's in different places. Um, you could be in the, you know, I don't I have any idea, you know, how to start a budget. You could be, I have a budget, but I kind of a framework. I'm not sure how to really follow through with it or I have a budget but I don't use it very often it's not hasn't been very helpful to me because I haven't been using it you could be in a variety of areas um, so 
just I would like to not to put anybody on the spot, but I would like to get an idea of where everybody's at. So, um, who right now would you consider? You know, for all practical purposes, you don't have a budget. Anybody? Okay. Yeah, yeah it's, it's totally fine. In fact, it's very helpful because I want people in every category. So thank, thank you for being in that category. Um, who do you feel like you have kind of a framework for your budget, um, but really just need some work in getting that done? Okay. And then uh, who do you feel like you have a budget, um, but you're not really effectively using it? Okay. All right. And who feels like really you should be the one talking? You've got it nailed. <laughs> and if so, I'll quietly step aside. Um, so all right. So no, no, nobody wants to admit that. Anymore. Okay. So what is the? Uh, so first of all, why why budget? So let's start off with the basics here. So why budget? And that's, that's not like a rhetorical question, like a real question. Why do we budget? Don't run out of money. What's that? Don't run out of money. Don't run out of money. Okay. That's really the, the primary reason to budget is to spend less than you make. Yeah. And if, that, if you start there and you carry that through, then you're, you've got, you're halfway there or more than halfway there already. So that's a big part of it. Um, spend less than you make. All right. What else? Tom? That's very good. That's, that's an essential part, too. And we'll talk more about that, lining up your values and your priorities with where your resources are going. I mean, we have these resources. We want to use them, again, in a spiritual way, but in an effective way as well. I was just going to say sort of along those lines to um, make sure you cover all things you're responsible. You can cover all things you're responsible. Be responsible. Yeah, absolutely. Because if you don't budget well, then it's a lot easier to be irresponsible. Yeah. Uh, very good. Yeah. It's habitual. Habitual? It's habitual. If you, yep. if you have one, you just get used to it, and you, you don't panic. Right. You explore peace. <laughs> no, that's that's a great point. You do. The, the budget... Budget brings freedom and it also limits you. So it brings freedom by it frees you from the anxiety um, because because you know basically what you can spend and you know where you're going, where you've been, you know what your capabilities are. Uh, someone goes out to the store, you actually know what you have to spend. Or it comes to time to buy gifts, you actually know what you can afford to buy. So there's less anxiety because you know knowledge in that sense will will bring uh, less anxiety but it's limiting as well sure. in a good way so it's limiting to keep you from going outside of the bounds that you should go and so some of us need more freedom perhaps and maybe some of us need more limitation uh, it just depends on you know kind of where you're at with everything um, so let's look over to one of the scriptures we'll look at is Proverbs 27 maybe one of my favorite budgeting scriptures I guess There's kind of a, a culturism in here, so you know you just have to kind of roll with it when you're in the Old Testament. So um, you'll see what I mean. Proverbs 27, verse uh, 23. It, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, yep, the Bible, breaking out the Bible. Uh oh, what's coming next? Uh, be sure you know the condition of your flock. 
Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed, a new growth appears, and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing, and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed you and your family and to nourish your servant girls. And I'll just say you're, you know, the rest of the church instead of servant girls. How about that? Um, and, uh, but anyway, that, this scripture definitely points to, you know, you've got to know the condition of your flocks. You've got to know what you have, and you need to know what you're able to do. Know what's laid aside for the future, or definitely set aside things for the future, um, because things are, you never know what's going to happen. Right. And uh, so things are not secure in that sense. And, uh, you know, and seasons change, and you got to be ready, whether that means you're in a, you know, a job that, you know, maybe is on commission or something like that, or you've got um, right. certain cycles to your expenses. Uh, you know, you've got to be able to plan for the ups and downs. Um, so that's why we budget. So what are some challenges of budgeting? So, you know, we're all, as we talked about, we're all at different places in terms of budgeting. So what do you find to be some challenges when it comes to budgeting? Yeah, Bobby. Uh, unexpected, unanticipated expenses. Mm, like good. things that aren't monthly oh, I forgot about that thing it's every six months or uh, just events or get-togethers or whatever that you think we're going to have. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think just the discipline of yeah. putting in transactions and tracking. Right. Know, just keeping it up to date. Yeah, that's a big yeah. part of budgeting and that's a big part of why people don't keep up with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the if for the mayor, it's, it's the communication between the two, Very and then knowing yeah. who, who who really knows, 100%. yeah, <laughs> and yeah. are we sharing? Who knows or who does what or, yeah, or whatever? Who knows? Yeah. I'm the buyer. He's the he's the he's the bill man. You know, right. he brings it in. I send it out. But you know, right? <laughs> Do yeah. we communicate enough to make that a, so an un, yeah. not a stumbling block? Yeah, and we'll talk about the roles exactly. So, um, yeah. Sticking to it. Sticking to it. Yeah, that's a big one. So you got a budget, you did it, you do it for a month, and then what happened to that? You know, don't do it again. Yeah. I think looking at it as an incentive instead of a detriment. I think you know, when we were young, oh, yeah. we were married, I was like, man, I got a budget. I don't know a budget. I mean, it's like, we need to be on a budget. I'm that's like, right. What is that? I don't want to be on a budget. I know. I, that's what I said. Cost us a lot of pain. Sounds like bondage, you know. I don't want that. You know, what? I want to be free. All the money I can get. No, I mean, that's just, you know. So looking at it as a positive incentive, so when you do meet the goal, you can actually instill. Absolutely. So when you do well and you have money, you go, hey, this is God's way of giving it back to me. I mean, Amen. Amen. What else? Anything else? All right, so uh, sticking to a tra- track. Yeah, all those things I wrote down, we covered. So good. So Second Timothy 1 look at that I was, uh, Harrison and I have uh, a quiet time uh, once uh, once a week and then we just kind of we're going through Timothy right now in 2 Timothy and so we we hit this and uh, we had a great discussion on it but uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1 you guys know this scripture but in verse 7 for God did this of course Paul's telling Timothy for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Amen. And so that's, you know, this is what God, the spirit that God gave us, 
you know what? It's, it, there's some self-discipline in us. You know, and we could also, there's a lot you could talk about in this scripture and in the whole context, but just picking out um, self-discipline, you know, we have the ability to be disciplined in us. And we may have to fan that into flame, though. Yeah. And uh, so when it comes to budgeting, discipline, discipline is required. And so it could be harder for some people who are not as disciplined or, um, hey, I'm not so much the, the dot the I across the T's. I'm more the creative side. You may be creative and disciplined, but I'm just saying, you know, there could be a lot of reasons. I know even amongst my kids, um, there's a lot of difference in terms of the level of discipline among the three of them. Um, so surely there is in this room as well. Um, so we just kind of have to, I think, understand where we're at and what our limitations are, but not, not let us excuse, right. I guess, a lack of discipline. Because you can, there's nothing inherently so challenging about uh, budgeting that we can't do this. There's nobody in this room who can't do that. And so it might come easier to some more than others, um, but you can budget. And so there's really no reason. So if I impart nothing else uh, today, it would just be that you can budget and you can stick to it and it can be effective because it's not, doesn't have to be that, that difficult. So you have, you have to call up, maybe fan into flame some of that discipline. So formats for a budget. So there, what different kinds of, so those of you who have a, a budget, where can you find it? Where is it? On what form? Yeah? Well, for years and years and years, there's, I've put codes by, in my checkbook as to where the money's going. And even though we are on the house, I still have an R format. As far as I'm concerned, to make so you still do yeah, it's an R for rent. Well, I mean, you still use a checkbook yeah. then to catalog all your expenses? Yes. Okay. All right, great. So kind of paper and pen checkbook, all right? Excel spreadsheet. Excel. You can color code. You can limit. You can, you can color code and you can dissect, like, when something's due or how much yeah. money's coming in every two weeks or when bills, because sometimes bill, there's more bills at the beginning, there's less bills in the middle. Yeah. When you pay it, you just you color code it. Yeah, I think Drew may have sent out an Excel spreadsheet. That's basically the, did you guys get that? Did some of you get that? Yeah. So, again, many ways to do that. That's kind of the basic budget that I use. I use Excel as well. And uh, I do a couple other things I add in, but I wanted to keep it really simple. Um, that's essentially what I do. So, I, we have, uh, basically, I just have the, you have revenue and you have expenses. Right. And then I have that as a budget, and then I just put in the expenses as we go to the right and they just add up and then you kind of see, you know, this minus this and see where you're at and what you have left. Again, what else? So Excel spreadsheet. Uh, we use every dollar. It's like a yeah. online That's budget that we keep on our phones. We can just okay. easily Every track. dollar? Yeah, we can use that too. We do that too. Okay, nice. Is that an app or? Mm -hmm. Dave Ramsey suggested, is okay. it, wait, is it every dollar or something? It's every dollar. Every, every dollar. dollar. Every dollar. Okay. Yeah. It's an app, but it's also you can do computer, so it's like cloud based. So it, it just um, both of them work together. Yeah, I knew there's a lot of stuff like that out there. I was hoping some people would have some examples. So yeah, every dollar. Yeah. There's a Mint. Mint. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I know that's a great website. And do they also have an app too that you can yeah. use? Or I haven't downloaded it yet, but I'm not sure. Okay. They yeah. yeah, they have. Mm. Okay. So, I mean, I imagine on those, it's a place where you can catalog your expenses as you go. I mean, yeah, if you use technology, I mean, there's, there's really some great ways to do that that you could, as soon as you spend on it, do you take a picture of it or, or what do you guys, or do you just enter it in the app when you 
How do you use it? Uh, receipts, and then we just enter it. You enter it in, okay. Uh, I know Mint is like connected to your yeah, actual right. bank account. Yeah. So yeah. it like. You can do it with every dollar you have to pay. Yeah, every dollar you have to pay for that kind of thing, so we just don't pay for that. Okay, gotcha, yeah. Um, all right, what else? Any other methods? So, I mean, yeah, that's basic. I mean, there's software, there's cloud-based, and just on the internet. And there's paper and pen. Yeah. So, well, yeah, and we'll talk about that too. There's the, in case of emergency, break this glass. Uh, that's the envelope method. Well, I'm talking about so, like putting, we would actually put like food money in the envelope. Yeah. Like, to the point where at one point where we could have been like, okay, it's over. And I'm like, neon snacker. I'm going to go somewhere and get some. She's like, eh, money's gone. Yeah, so there's the envelope method as well. And so that's like when you're really at that point where we can't afford to go $1, 50% over our budget. And then you break out the envelopes. And you probably know what that is, but you write down the categories on it. Here's the rent, here's the food money, whatever, at the beginning of the month, you go by cash, and then when it's gone, it's gone until the next month. And so we have, I've never used that, um, but I had a very, I have a very good friend who did use that in the past. Uh, he and his wife did, and it was very effective for them. Um, it, it really works if you stick to it. So there are ways to constrain you uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, the point of all this is there's a lot of different methods out there. It doesn't mean you're a better budgeter if you use uh, Mint uh, or every dollar as opposed to paper and pen. Um, use whatever works for you. You can get an old yellow pad and you can get a pen and it might be a little more trouble because you're maybe writing out a little bit more every time, but you can do that. Whatever works for you is what you should do. What's going to be sustainable is what you should do, okay? So don't overcomplicate it. All right, so let's talk through some of budgeting basics. So number one, you have to know what you make and you have to know what you spend. And what you make could be simple for some. I have a set amount that comes in, you know, every two weeks, every month, whatever. Um, or maybe you're on commission. Like I, in my job, base salary plus commission. Um, so I have to estimate, you know, and obviously if you're talking about revenue, you want to estimate low. And so, yeah, you average and what can I figure on making? So it makes it a little more challenging, um, but still, it is very doable. Um, and, uh, but if you have a set amount that comes in, you just got to know what you make. So use a net. Um, you want to budget on a net, obviously, so the amount that you actually get um, after other stuff gets taken out, your taxes and maybe 401k and all that, your spendable, your spendable money, you know, that's what you're going to budget. Now, you want to be aware of what's coming out of your paycheck, don't get me wrong. We're not going to spend a ton of time talking about investments and all that. If you want to ask questions later on that, that's fine. 401k, you know, bottom line is if you have free money available to you, matching, take advantage of that by all means. But anyway, budget from what you actually have coming in and budget on a monthly basis. You'll find it easier to do that. So figure it out on a monthly. Um, I have a thing since uh, I get paid uh, every two weeks, then I have to factor in, you know, the extra, you know, approximately few few days to convert it from, you know, basically two weeks, you know, bi-weekly to monthly, whatever. So anyway, it's not as complicated as it sounds, but just basically go per month uh, on a per month basis. And then, so hopefully that's the easy part, figuring out what you make. And then the rest of the budget, of course, is your expenses. And so you need to know what you spend. And as we talked about before, um, one of the challenging things of that is just staying up with that. But there's a number of ways you can do that. 
you know, you bottom line, you want to track every expense. If you're going to be effective in budgeting, you have to track every expense. Um, and you have to really be, um, you have to become that person that really pays attention to details. Um, if you don't, then it, it's kind of hard to budget because if you halfway budget, it's not really much of a budget. Um, so that's, I've used different methods. The most effective for me was every time I get a receipt, I put it in my wallet, and then at such and such time, maybe once a week, I take the receipt out, I enter it in, I throw it away, unless I need to save the receipt, whatever, but I just make sure everything. Um, I tend, now I tend to use um, a credit card for everything. That's not for everybody. <clears throat> if you have trouble, if you have credit card debt, um, or if you would have trouble either with the discipline or the finances to uh, pay off your uh, amount every month and you don't want to use a credit card. Um, but if you are in a position uh, and you have the ability to pay off that every month and you have the discipline and all that so you don't get any interest charges, credit card can be an effective way because uh, you know there's additional benefits as well. But it's they catalog it for you and you can always go online and you got all your expenses right there and everything. So I actually use that now. So use that if that's helpful. Um, but uh, checkbook entry, you know, we talked about that. You can still use that um, software, all that. But somehow you've got to account for every expense. And you want to do it, you want to enter it periodically because if you wait to the end of the month to enter it, well, that's better than nothing, um, but you're not able to make adjustments along the way. Um, you'll just, you'll just be able, maybe you fell far behind that month and you'll know for next month, but it's more effective if you can do it like at least weekly. So you can enter it in, where are we at according to where we should be, um, and uh, get a sense of what you have left. That helps you make interim decisions uh, during the month. You know, so uh, that'll guide your decisions. Um, so uh, yeah, and so you've got to plan uh, for uh, variable expenses and fixed expenses. So your, what's an example of a fixed expense? Mortgage, rent, yeah. Car payment, yeah. Cell phones. Cell phones, uh, maybe insurance, you know, things like that. So those are, you know, they're usually easier to deal with because at least for a time, if you have your cable bill and you signed up for the two-year plan or whatever, unless you order a lot of movies uh, on cable, then you, then you understand what your bill is going to be each month. And so you, those are your fixed expenses, okay? And then the variable expenses, are like what, groceries? What's that? Pest control, yeah, I guess, unless you have a set amount. Um, gas. Gas, yeah, so a lot of your expenses are gonna be variable. So those can be a little bit harder to budget for. Um, but of course, with a budget, you need to figure out, when you start out with a budget, you wanna use averages of what you think. And if you don't have a history there, it may be hard to come up with a good average. Um, but you plug those into your initial budget, and of course, it's got to work. So in other words, the, the top line, when you talk about the top line, someone says the top line, they're talking about the, the revenue. And uh, then you got the expenses. Um, it's it's got to work. So make sure it works. But then you're going to use averages um, for, your, uh, for your variable expenses. Um, but you want to keep track of that, again. Um, so you got to watch those variable expenses because, again, those, those are the ones that are going to set you aside probably. A grocery uh, budget and stuff like that and 
sure enough, when, when we start going to the grocery store, you know, three times a week, and we're not disciplined about uh, coming up with a plan for food and for the month, and uh, well, I'd say by the week, it's hard to do for the month, but uh, if you're able to plan out your, your food expenses and with the meals and all that for the week and go to the store one time, I'm saying this is the best thing theoretically because I can't say we're always the best example of this. Um, then, uh, and it's hard with three teenagers, right? It's my excuses there. But, uh, but um, it'll save you some money to kind of go out and say, this is what we have for the week. And then you try not to have the discipline to not go to the store. You know, hey, you know, we gotta, we gotta use what we have. You know, it's in the cupboard somewhere. Something's there. It may be the rice roni but it's it's something. You know, so we'll, we'll, we'll be fed. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, that's just kind of a side on on groceries and uh, on variables. So, you you have to be able to uh, use those. So, on uh, expenses, of course, you want to err on the high side. As I said, revenue err on the low side. Um, categorize in your budget. So your line items of your expenses categorize as much as possible. You don't want just like uh, rent, food, gas, miscellaneous. You know, and then all of a sudden you have this huge miscellaneous. You're like, wow, our miscellaneous is all over the place. Yes, because that's like, it's, it's, uh, you need to limit miscellaneous to things that are truly like uh, exceptional type things. Now, you should probably budget something for miscellaneous. Um, but use as many categories as you can um, so that you can then you can look back and hey where did our money go last month or where has it gone well you know because you can look back oh gas wow why was gas so high uh, or groceries or it's probably going to be something like that or if you're saving those receipts as you should be wow because I took so many trips to Starbucks uh, or you know I stopped by the store to get these little snacks or whatever Whatever it is, you'll be able to look at it and look it in the face and say, okay, this is, this is what it was. And, uh, and then make adjustments from there. So those are some budgeting basics. Any questions so far on anything we've covered? All right, there'll be plenty of opportunities for questions. Okay, so how about making a budget successful and sustainable? Um, so, Wait, I'm sorry. Yeah. Since, since you, I know what you're going yeah. to. Uh -huh. um, how... Uh, how do you budget that um, unexpected expenses? Where, what, what line item is that? You know, where you're just kind of saving up for a car repair, it's a thousand dollars. It's not in your normal budget, but so yeah. what, under what category would you, you know, is this uh, the piggy bank? You know, do, 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 do right. you stuff in Yeah, so you want to try to have, so two things to that. I mean, there's smaller ones that you want to budget for. Like I budget for, I have a line item home and car. You know, so for home repair expenses, car repair expenses, um, that's, and I'm not including car payment in that, that's just for me anyways, home and car, and so I'll budget something there, um, so that'll take care of your, you know, maybe it's $100 a month or something like that, um, but the big ones, air conditioner breaks, something like that, there really is no way to budget for that on a monthly basis other than making sure you have an emergency fund, so what you do there is you save and you put in your budget to get enough for an emergency fund. And depending on your kind of run rate, if you will, you kind of figure out what that needs to be for you. It's not gonna be the same for everyone. It could be $500 if that's what you can do. It could be $1,000. Um, if you have more means, it could be $5,000 or something like that. Um, probably doesn't need to be much over that. 
um, but you have an emergency fund for those types of things. So whatever stage you're in, either budget for an emergency fund, put that as an expense, emergency fund, get a separate account. It's usually free to open up a separate savings account at your, uh, at your bank. Usually you're unlimited on number of savings accounts and things like that. Yeah, you can't do transfers of more than six a month or something like that, whatever. Um, but put it away in something where it's not in your normal account and get an emergency fund. You can secondary account now usually through it without opening up a new one. They'll secondary, I know Brendan's doing it. Uh -huh. They'll secondary and they'll even third, you can have three connected. Great. Where you can see them and you can just transfer. And there's not, there's not, some of them don't have limits. Don't have limits, that's great. So yeah, so have, the point of that is have different accounts so you can set it aside. So did that answer your question effectively? Yeah. Um, there's no easy way to say that sometimes when the air conditioner breaks and you don't feel like you have the money. There's no easy answer, especially if you don't have an emergency fund for sure. But so you, you'd recommend having your checking an emergency fund savings, and then ha how many other savings accounts would would you really like? How would you how would you bucket them? Well, you know, so one thing would be maybe I might have one in there for a special contribution, right. um, and have one in there for emergency fund, and then. You know, for kids, you know, now that may not be where you're, like we use a 529 plan, so that's kind of our, our savings account for the kids. Um, but if you don't have a 529 account yet for kids' college and stuff like that, then you could set something aside for them. Um, now, we, we did have a savings, savings account for each of our kids when they got to a certain age. I don't remember exactly what, 11, 12, something like that. Um, and so when they got Christmas money, it went in there, and they can start learning time value of, of uh, money and things like that. And then, oh, what do you, you want to buy something or whatever? Okay, what do you have in your savings account? So those are other accounts that we had as well for our, our kids. Did, anybody else? Andre, do you have anything? Oh, no, no, I'll you're, touch base on that. You're fine, okay. Okay, all right, good deal. Um, so making, it, making a budget successful and sustainable, Going back to the basics, you know, income greater than expenses. Now for some of us, we can focus more on the top line, um, and, uh, but most of us are gonna to need to focus on the expenses. So in other words, to make it sustainable, we may not be able to affect our top line as much. We make what we make. You know, it's another discussion. You're able to make more money, you're able to do whatever. But for most of us, practically speaking, it's focusing on the expenses. So that's what's going to make it sustainable, is I have, I have such and such is what I make, and I've got to live within my means. And that's, that is a very much a spiritual tenet. Um, it's, you know, we need to live within our means. Um, I will tell you one example of that. Uh, my opinion here, but one of the best ways that I have saved money is by not buying new cars Absolutely. or holding on to a car forever. Come on. So I have the means to buy a new car, but I don't want to. So my cars are, my newest car is a 2003. Um, and uh, so we effectively have five college cars in our house. So I, I do own, Holt kind of owns one, so I'll say I own four cars. Uh, but the, the newest of them is 2003. And they're all over 100,000. And the van that we drove up here has 244,000. If I sound like I take pride in that, it's because hey, I do. Um, so I definitely do. Is it wrong or sinful to buy a new car? No, it's not. 
But I have done, we, I would say uh, a year ago, we looked, and you know, our, our van is 2001. So legitimately, you know, we looked at it, and so last year, 15 years old, you know, 230,000 miles or whatever, needed some stuff, needed some stuff done to it. Um, that would cost, you know, it's going to cost a, a few grand. Um, and so I, I kind of mapped out. We went, we looked at new cars and different things. And uh, for our purposes, we still, even though you know, our kids are almost all in college, we still need something that can carry a lot. We still need a, a van sure. that can go on vacation and stuff like that. I'll spare you the whole thing. But essentially, we still needed something like that. Um, so uh, we looked at, okay, what it would be for a new Odyssey, what would it be for a new whatever, whatever. And then the cost of a new car was basically going to be, um, the payment would be something like, you know, $300, $400 for five years or six years or something like that. So then, then I looked at what it was, what it would be to fix the van. Okay, so maybe it's whatever, $2,000. So do the math on that in terms of seven months. You know, if I have this van for seven months, that's $2,100 if you were to spread it out over that. So basically, if this repair lasts longer than seven months, then I'm in the green. Right, yeah. uh -huh. And so I, I basically did the math and I'm like, there's no reason for me to right. buy a new van right. because this one is still working. I just need some stuff done to it. Right, exactly. I don't think it's going to totally stop working. Uh, that's right. another consideration. How much more stuff would need to happen or whatever. But I'm like, I could spend $5,000 on this van and still probably get by ahead right. after about a year and a half or so. Right. So I talked to the, the guy at the shop. What else could go wrong with this? You know, and had that conversation and anyway we we had that discussion so we bottom line we, we fixed the van most time i think people go too often to buying a new car when you should look at maybe fixing a car now there's exceptions there's exceptions sometimes it's like this thing is a, a jalopy it's not going to make it it's just going to keep breaking down there is a time to do that but i'm saying think through these things look at the the value um two thousand dollars can seem like a big deal three hundred dollars a month can seem like a small deal but if you look at five, six years and right. compare the two, it's, you know, it, it works out differently. So that's kind of one way that we've saved money a lot. Um, you might have their hand up there. Yeah, I was going to yeah. uh, bring up the idea about the, I think you already touched on it, but there's a certain point where, like, for instance, I had a 94 Volkswagen Jetta, which is 22 years old, now, I still had it, but when it was about 18 years old, it got to the point where a small minor repair took so much labor to dig in to find out it'd be fifteen hundred dollar repair only for something else to break. And uh, now everything has electric windows, but uh, you know, pretty much with the older folks like I would stay away from electric windows because that's just normal. Mm -hmm. Where you know, I have no. like Whereas now everything you get's got electric windows. That's right. So, uh, so we worked with a, a couple about a year ago on their budget and they're having budgeting issues, things like that, and well really financial issues. They made enough money, but you look at the expenses and it's like 500 a month car payment. Yeah. Like, what in the world? Mm -hmm. And they had bought this, this $50,000 Acura, uh, you know, SUV, whatever. I'm like, well, and I didn't say it this way, but I'm thinking, <laughs> why in the world did you buy this car? And uh, so worked on them a little bit and eventually they're like, you know what, what do we need to do? And I'm saying, take that in, see what you can get for it, buy, buy a, uh, 
a less expensive car and they did that and they really reduced their car paying a lot and you could look at what am I losing in terms of doing that or whatever but they had so much left to pay off and it made sense for them to get a another car they like it probably almost as much it does the same thing and they save a lot of money all right I'm gonna move on from cars but but anyway that's that's a big one that's one of the biggest ways I mean you can look at houses too and would you the love it how much house do you buy and you know there were days where people were all buying two big houses you know everywhere I think that's kind of dissipated some hopefully um, but you can save yourself a lot of money by not overbuying that as well so those are kind of the big long-term expenses uh, but on a on a short-term basis as well there's certainly things but a lot of times it's those decisions that can really make it hard on you so you got to be really careful with those so make it sustainable align your budget with your goals and your values and your priorities um, so that was brought up before um, I think uh, Tom brought that up but I mean what what do your budget what does your budget and what do your spending patterns say about your priorities um, so they should align you need to get them in alignment and certainly you could easily talk about you know tithing and uh, you know I know Paul had talked about that before but you know, set that as a priority in terms of your tithe. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail on that, but I'll just tell you, everybody I've seen who's really been generous with their tithe, God has given right back. That's true. And if you look at the scriptures in 2 Corinthians 8, you just see how God enables us to be generous. He said he provides seed for the sower. Um, so he provides us with seed, and then he asks us to be generous. So he gives us the seed and what we need, and he said, here, I'm going to give all this to you and be generous. Right. Wow, it's a lot easier to be generous when it's given to you. But that's effectively what God does. So kind of look at those things um, in that way. But, you know, give, give uh, generously to God and it, it'll come back to you. And that's not, um, you know, that's not one of those get rich by, you know, giving a lot um, prosperity gospel type things. But, but um, yeah, so your values, make sure like... Um, Make sure things line up. Your goals. Um, what are your goals? Your goals, you want to have short-term goals. You want to have long-term goals when it comes to your budget. Um, your, uh, a goal uh, could be, well, it could be long-term or short-term. It would be to get out of debt. And, you know, that's always, I'm not going to take a show of hands, but I know probably in this group, at, last, at least probably half of you have a decent amount of consumer debt. Um, so obviously you've got the good debt, which is, or not the bad debt, and I guess no debt's truly good, but, but having a house, you know, that's mortgage, I mean, that's, okay, that's, if there is a good debt, that's a good debt. Um, so um, a good goal would be, though, to get out of your consumer debt, and that's credit cards and, and things like that, uh, usually credit cards, but there's other things as well, but you, that's a very good short-term, uh, maybe a long-term goal. But have other goals, too, like, um, you know, we've had a, a goal in the past and we're still working on it that, hey, we want to pay off our house by a certain time, you know, a certain age or whatever. And so that's a good goal. So maybe as you get a little bit older, uh, but to have that goal to pay off your house in a certain time, hopefully, you know, maybe under the 30 year mortgage period. And um, because other things start cropping up, like needing to help pay for college and things like that. So that's another goal to be able to really help pay for college. Some people have the means to pay for all their kids' college. We don't. So my goal has been to limit the debt that my uh, kids have. We don't have, some people are, are blessed and they have outside money coming in from family or whatever. Hey, that's great. Some of us don't. 
Um, and so if you don't, you got to work extra hard at, at really being able to save. And best thing I can say there is start young. You know, yeah. really start as, as soon as you can in a 529 plan or, or something or savings account or something to be paying for a college. I can't imagine it's sustainable for college expenses to go up at the pace that they have. Yeah. Something's got to break eventually. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But um, right now, um, no end in sight. Right. But anyway. Just make sure that you're saving for that. Make that a goal. You know, if all these goals, and we'll talk more um, briefly, but in everything, work together. You know, if you're a couple, work together on your goals. Lay out your goals and where are they financially? What are short-term goals? Where are long-term goals? And then, uh, you know, we have things like, you know, the Caleb Corps, which uh, I think they probably talked about here as well. You know, some people, as they get older, they're able to actually have that as a goal within so many years. I want to be able to be self-sustainable as a Caleb Corps and go out and help a church or even help the church here or wherever. You don't have to go somewhere. You can help here, but on a, on a broader basis and, and not need to get paid at all or maybe go to another church and just take a stipend or something like that or make yourself available for that um, or, uh, or other things you know, that you have. But a lot of times financially, um, the f financial means is going to decide whether you're able to do those kinds of things. So have a plan, even if it's over 10 years away. Um, have a plan. I mean, a 10-year plan, a 15-year plan, something like that. Um, and, you know, it goes by faster than you think. It does. Um, so uh, make sure things line up with your goals, your values, and your priorities. Uh, your priority may be to, here's an example, your priority may be to stay healthy, and you may need to budget extra um, because yes, it does cost more to go to Whole Foods, or it does cost more to uh, even get the even go to Kroger and get the the health food uh, or the healthier food sometimes. So that may be a priority. And okay, we're, we're, what's that? There's healthy store brand. Uh, yeah. So more money just by buying store brand. Well, there you go. So, but anyway, if that could be some of this a priority is to okay, we're, we may spend a little bit more in order to in order to eat healthy. But you know, bringing your own food. Uh, to work, uh, that saves money and that's yeah. healthier too. So there you go. Um, differentiate, differentiate your between needs and wants. Yeah. Um, you're, you've got needs, yes. You've also got wants. So learn to understand the difference, and you account for them differently. You know, some again are you you can do without. Uh, obviously, the wants. So you just got to look those things in the in the face and say. All right, it's not, this isn't working. What's going on? Is this really a want? Is this really a need? And, and uh, careful when you're addressing your spouse that way. Yeah. And I just you know, be sensitive as far as that goes. But yeah. I'll say I think most of us are fairly blinded about this and probably need somebody else's opinion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, like we probably need discipling and needs and wants. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's definitely that's part of my best practices that we're going to talk about is, is uh, getting input for sure. Um, so different shape between those, but also forgive yourself small transgressions. So there is, you want to be able to endure budgeting long term. You want to make it sustainable. So there's a psychological aspect to that. If you make a mistake and you're just like, this is not working, you make a bad decision and you're ready to just toss it all out the window, that's not a good thing. So you got to be able to forgive yourself transgressions hopefully they're small even if they're large you have to forgive yourself and move on um, but 
forgive yourself for the small transgressions so that you don't get overly discouraged. Um, or if your spouse, you know, forgive small uh, indiscretions or transgressions, what have you, when it comes to budgeting uh, or uh, spending. And uh, that's going to make it more enduring as far as psychologically and in your marriage. Yeah. Um, so, um, and so for, for those of you who are married, uh, we touched on this before, but figure out, um, figure out roles, you know, when it comes to budgeting, who's going to do what? You should both save your expenses and, and all that. So yes, it's very good, I think, for uh, the man to lead, but that doesn't mean that you have to be the one and you may not be the best one to do the bulk of the budgeting. Um, so perhaps your wife is better at that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't mean you're not leading um, if she does that. Um, so kind of free yourself up on that. And really, it's smart. Do whoever's better at that, take care of that. But you got to work out the communication, figure out the roles, and you may end up needing to get as much input on your marriage and talking about financial things as you do the budget itself. Um, but you know, get input as Marie had mentioned on on your budget and on, uh, but on, also on how you communicate about your budget. And if you tend to come across harsh or uncaring or whatever, that's a big part because if you frustrate each other, um, that's also gonna stop the budget in its tracks. Um, so that's a big part of making it sustainable and, and successful. Um, all right, what are some budgeting, I'm gonna talk about budgeting mistakes, best practices, and then have Andre come up and then uh, we'll get into uh, you know, looking at, at budgets after that with the uh, remaining time. So budgeting mistakes is not keeping track of all expenses. I know that's been said, but it is very important. Again, you have to commit to keeping track of all expenses. If you don't, again, a half budget, a halfway done budget is not really an effective budget. Um, if you catalog half of your expenses, it's not effective. You're, there's not really anything you're, it's not gonna, help you make decisions. A budget should be able to help you make decisions. See what you've done, good and bad, whatever, and help you plan, set goals, all that, but it's only effective if you've got it all on there. So it's kind of an all or nothing type proposition. So you gotta be all in when it comes to budgeting. So you might as well decide, you know, when you go home, and again, some of you, to give proper credit, you're already budgeting. Um, but wherever you're at, decide and commit to whatever we're going to do. Whether you're single, what you're going to do alone, if you're married, what you and your spouse are going to do, decide, pray, and say, this is what we're going to do. And then commit all in to that. And, uh, you know, that's the only way that's going to be sustainable. So that's the number one mistake is not keeping track, and uh, that leads to, to not uh, staying with it. Another one is buying on impulse. Um, you buy an impulse, you go out, and now I'm just feeling something so I had a bad day at work and I'm just going to go buy something because I feel better when uh, I endorphins rush through my body when I go out and spend money so yeah that's probably common to a lot of us but not only does that hurt your budget but it hurts uh, your ability to continue with your budget because that, again that's gonna it's, it's gonna be a, a temptation to just throw it all out the window so try to avoid the buying on impulse um, that's that limiting factor of the budget that, uh, that hopefully it'll, it'll help you do. On the, other, on the other side of things, becoming a miser and too frugal um, is a mistake too. 
Um, so yes, there's a limiting effect, but there's also a freedom. It doesn't mean freedom to spend anything, but you need to, to the extent that you're able, to put some freedom, whether even if you're doing the envelope method, have, have at least a little, we're gonna eat out you know, twice this month envelope or something to put something in there that you can look forward to. But put maybe some incentives in there. You know, if we save this much money and we take care of our expenses and what's left over, we're up to a certain amount, we're gonna allow ourselves to do something, to have a night away or to go out to dinner or something. Um, so build in positive things into your budget and allow yourself positive things uh, in your budget as well. Try not to be too frugal, sometimes you have to be, um, but if you're always talking about, yeah, I mean, it's depressing if you come back and, well, you did what, you spent what, and oh my goodness, we couldn't afford that. Maybe that's true, maybe not the best time to say it right when they're unloading groceries, but, um, but still, don't be too frugal to where everyone is on pins and needles in the household. Um, so try not to do that. Best practices, um, budget for savings. You know, put it down as an expense. You know, if you're able to um, budget more for more savings, great. Shoot for 10% if you can. 10% uh, to save, that might be a lot. You might not be able to do that. Do what you can but put it in your budget as an expense. And then every month, roll it into that savings account. Send it to the 529. Even better, you're able to have it come out automatically. If you're able to do that without having you, you know, uh, bounce checks or something like that. Um, but um, automatic withdrawal is very helpful too. How do you do the 529? Is that through your bank? Oh, that's, um, there's a website, Virginia 529. Um, Virginia529, I think it's va529.com or something like that. Okay. Um, you set up an account, it's free, and yeah, they'll, uh, there's different ones you can choose from um, on there. I forget what the one, ours is just basically a savings account. There's some where you can prepay education uh, and, and do that. We didn't do that, prepay tuition or whatever. We see the one where you send money in. Extra benefit of it is it's up to $2,000 per child or is it 4,000? Maybe it's up to, it's either two or four. Anyway, up to uh, a certain amount per year is uh, state tax deductible. Um, so that's a, a nice little benefit. Um, but yeah, you send it in there, and so they'll have, they'll say, okay, your, your child is going to uh, graduate from high school in 2025, and so they'll have the 2025 uh, um, thing or whatever that, they have a mix of investments related to how much longer you have before you're gonna to need to pull that money out. So it might be a little bit more in the, in the stocks or the equities when you're like far away and as it gets close, they do all this for you. You don't have to do all this. When it gets close, then um, you know, it's more in like you know, stable investments or whatever. So that's a 529 plan. We did them for our kids. It's good for sometimes a grandparents if they wanna give some they can get uh, put it in there, and if they're in the state of Virginia, they get the tax deduction or whatever. Um, but we had some appreciation in ours, so we got some free money out of it because, you know, as the stock market went up or whatever over the years, we got some out of that. So it was actually very, very helpful. Andre, did you want to say something? Yeah, so there's other uh, 
you know, Virginia 529 is awesome as well. There's other options out there too, uh, 529 plans that also don't restrict you to staying in, uh, in Virginia schools. So those are options that you might want to look into too if you're committed to keeping your children in Virginia. Amen. Uh, that's a good recommendation too. But there are some other options out there too that don't restrict you in that way. Well, you're not restricted yeah. um, by, you don't have to go to Virginia school yeah, you don't have to today. Go. Yeah. So just to cut in. Under is certainly right. There's a lot of other things um, that you can, uh, other 529 plans in other states, and there's other types of plans to save as well. Uh, but just, just to clarify, your kids don't have to go to Virginia. Uh, now, if you do the prepaid tuition, it, you might. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how that works, but that might be limited to Virginia. But just simply saving, um, you know, hopefully Harrison gets into UVA. Um, but, and, uh, but if he went to an out-of-state school, then we could use it for that as well. That's not an issue. And you don't lose the money. I mean, if, if they don't use it all, if you happen to doubt this is going to happen, but if you happen to have extra left over, you don't lose it. Uh, Another uh, brother had given me the advice, or just a warning, that the more money you have in your 529, the less you're eligible for Pay for grants and loans. Is that is that any reason to shy away from having the five twenty? They're they're going to when you do the um, what was that form? Thank you. Uh, when you do that form, um, they're going to find your money to the extent that you're honest. I know everyone will be. They'll find your money wherever it's at, and uh, in a sense, because you have to put you know how much you have in savings and all this. So whether you have it in five two nine or whether you have it in a savings account. They're going to ask you to declare that on the form. Even, even, like, even like equity in your home, is that code against you too? Is that, I've, is that on there? I don't remember if that's on there. I'm not sure that's going to count against you. Um, so bottom line is I don't think that would be a big consideration because they're, they're going to, once you put it on there, they're going to know that you have that money. And so, but that's a, that's a very, good, very good question. Um, you could take a lesser paying job and that'll help you, but I don't recommend that. Um, it's, not, it's not going to help you in the end. Um, what's that? Have fewer kids? Uh, yeah. More kids. So, um, yeah, so other best practices get input on your budget. We talked about that. Get input on big purchases. So you don't need to get input every time before you go to Kroger. Uh, but I'd say before you buy a car or something like that, before you buy a house, uh, we have a couple we're working with at home and they're just, they're just determined to, to go buy a new house and stuff like that. And it's funny, people get funny when it's, uh, sometimes they get kind of closed in, they're really emotionally like driven to do something. Try not to be that person. Try to think, you know, nobody's going to tell you what you have to do but but really try to see input as truly input not permission because when people see it as when we see it as permission we tend to not get it because we think I have to get permission on something no and whether you disciple someone my advice to you is don't make it a permission thing make it input and if you're seeking advice it's input not permission so hopefully that'll free you up to want to get it say it's still under your control what you do afterwards um, but, um, but there's so much benefit to, to getting input. Um, you know, even if you think you really know something, it's helpful because you will probably get, someone will think of something that you didn't and it may save you from making a mistake. So get, definitely get input. Um, we talked about setting short-term, long-term goals, emergency fund, automatic savings contributions, 
talked about shopping. We talked about the envelope method. So um, that's all I have uh, before Andre comes up. Um, and then we'll, we'll kind of move into budgeting practical um, after Andre. But any questions so far? Laura? For like the automatic savings, yeah. I guess would you recommend not doing that if you're trying to pay off debt or if you wanted to like make more payments on your house or? That's a good question. You, yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's smart to save enough to have an emergency fund. Um, even with, when you have debt, because if you don't have an emergency fund, you could end up adding to your debt unnecessarily. So I'd set an amount for an emergency fund, save to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but very good question. Once you have that, everything goes to paying off debt. Yeah. You know, and even good debts like your house, well, or if that's one of our goals, or like. Well, so um, I mean, then you want to look at you know. Then you look at rates, you know, so if yeah. you have a mortgage and if your mortgage, mortgage is obviously pretty low right now, you might have a, say a 4% uh, mortgage rate and then, but your, your uh, tax rate, effective tax rate is 25%. So it's tax deductible. So effectively your mortgage rate is 3% once you account that. And so you figure that's 3%. There's not, what? The, you can't depend necessarily on the stock market. Sometimes they say, well, historically it makes 9%. But I'd say if you put some money away into long-term investments and things like that in the stock, in the stock market, it's not bad to do that. You're probably going to make over the years more than 3% if you have a long time horizon. So maybe say over 10 years or something like that. Chances are you're going to make more than 3%. So... Um, so when it comes to just pure mortgage debt or something like that, I would say you, you, it's good to pay more um, to shorten it, and maybe down to, say instead of a 30-year, get it down to a 15-year or something like that. Um, because there's other things too. Maybe you want, right? this gets into your goals. So you want to be free of any kind of debt, say, and do something like Caleb Core in 15 years. So you end up spending more on your mortgage in order to pay off your mortgage in 15 years. Even if maybe it's not the, the purest, uh, makes the most sense financially, because you could make more in the stock market, but yet I want to be sure at 15 years that we're free of all debt, so I'm going to pay more in my mortgage. Um, so you might have those types of things that come into there. Um, but generally if it's consumer debt, and if it's, you know, if it's more than you know, 4%, 5%, something like that, then you want to be paying down that debt. So. Now, uh, having just working with my dad now for the last few years, so he's been debt free. His house was paid off like two years after before they just took money and paid it off. So it's been paid off since the 80s. Uh, but that means that Uncle Sam killed him every mm. year. He has no deductibles. His kids grew up. Wife died. He had nothing, so um, there is an advantage to having that mortgage. It becomes your only deductible as your children fly away. Um, but but like for us, we bought a house. We have a thirty-year mortgage. I don't want to be paying in my eighties. But if I make, it turns out if I make one extra month a year, it brings it down to like seventeen and a half, eighteen years. So that my effective monthly 
mortgage is a 30-year loan, so that the amount is reasonable, but if I can pony up this year a 13-month payment, next year maybe not, the year after maybe I can. If I can keep it like that, I will effectively bring it down to a 20-year mortgage or less, paying only a 30-year a month, and it gives me a freedom with my current income, and Uncle Sam can't take everything we owe in taxes. Yeah, it's better to be debt free than to have a tax deduction, if that makes sense. So what Marie says is right. So if you have a choice between debt or whatever, you know, keep your house debt because it's tax deductible for sure. But don't, uh, don't not pay off your house because you want a tax deduction. Right. Unless you have somewhere else to put that money that's going to make more, if that, if that makes sense. So. Yeah. You know, something I've done and it seems to have worked is uh, like when I go to get the car loan and everything, I've done, I've set it up as a long loan, which means more interest, but I always pay it off early. So, in other words, give me the flexibility. I know it, I, my, my income looks pretty lousy. This payment looks good, even though it's seven years. But I ended up paying it off early, and even with very little money. So, like that, last car, pretty much every car I have, I paid off early. Yeah. Uh, get rid of car payments as soon as you can. Yeah, <clears throat> back to the house. Um, I can send it out, but I have this very helpful, like somebody made it. It's a Google spreadsheet, but basically it's like a huge graph. You enter your mortgage, your uh, interest rate, and then your set monthly you know, mortgage payment. And then you can adjust it and you can see how much earlier time and how yeah. much money you will save yeah. in the long run in 30 years or if you make that extra payment. So you can actually physically see like, oh wow, like just an extra $100 or $50 yeah. you can actually cut off years. Of yeah, it may make sense. I mean, it costs a little money to uh, redo your mortgage, um, but if you have the means to go to uh, 15 year instead of 30, usually you can get a lower rate and you're gonna save a lot over time. Um, so yeah. Costful money to do that because you've got to go through closing and all that. Um, but a lot of times you save a lot more than that. So if you're able to upgrade in a sense to a 15 year mortgage, that can really save you a lot of money. Um, Real quick uh, question. Do you, can you think of any like things that disciples tend to think is a good idea but is actually a bad idea financially? <laughs> like, you know, I'm being a good disciple, so I'm going to do this because everybody knows you do this. But it's, you know, can you think of anything like that? Well, I already hit on cars. I mean, you know, that's probably the number one, I think. Um, it's probably buying, buying too much house uh, or, or uh, buying cars or you know, buying new cars or whatever. Um, other things. Um, like something that people think is a good, is good spiritually, but it's actually not that kind of thing. I can't think of any example. Well, I mean... Hold it spiritually, pure spiritually, would be holding back on your tithe. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's a good idea. Um, you know, there may be times where you just can't, but I just, there's so many benefits, uh, spiritual and otherwise, just to to give them to God first. Um, I, that's probably my number one recommendation: is is don't don't shave your tithe. You know, be committed to that. Um, and it, it'll go well with you. Yeah. Okay, the, the one I always found yeah. interesting in the early years that we would um, we would take the things out of our home that we are currently using and we would yard sale them. 
And then a month and a half later, you go buy a new one. And, and so you, you got $10 for this TV at the yard sale, and you gave it to God for special, and then you went oh, and yeah. spent $500 on a new TV. There's something cool about that that we used to do because it showed the commitment. Yeah. <laughs> financially, financially didn't always make the most sense. Yeah, so it would be actually better just to budget one extra week, one extra week of, uh, save, uh, of your tithe per month will almost get you your whole special. What, that's a really good question, though, and I'm sure there's some answers. Maybe I'll ask this. Are there things that you've done that you realize, oh, that wasn't smart? Mm -hmm. and, and you can think of... Um, well, I think sometimes people would go, uh, they would uh, take cash out of their credit card to pay their special because oh. they were not self-disciplined enough through the year to collect it. And then, of course, they had the to pay it off with the interest. Well, yeah, ne never take cash from your credit card. If you, they start they start charging interest immediately. Um, so I, I don't know. I can't think of anything else right now. I'm, I'm sure there there are some. Most of the time, it has to do with taking on debt. So anytime the most frequent thing is just taking on consumer debt, putting things on a credit card, thinking we have to do this when you really don't. Um, I know there are, there are exceptions. Um, yeah, so we'll, if any, anyone has any questions on anything else, you know, some more may arise. Um, okay, that being said, uh, I'll let Andre come up and tell us about insurance. Come on, Andre. background on scripture many people you know know the story of Joseph and you know what occurred with Potiphar's wife what happened was just leading up to this um, he um, he had the opportunity well not the opportunity well he did get the opportunity to actually uh, uh, tell uh, the king of uh, the Pharaoh uh, or translate his dream for him and uh, the translation was that there was going to be seven years of famine and seven or seven years of, of uh, very uh, prosperity, a lot of prosperity, and then seven years of famine mm -hmm. um, that would occur. And um, and from that, you know, Joseph, of course, was exalted to the second position in in, in all of Egypt, uh, and uh, was a great steward for uh, the Pharaoh. And starting in verse forty-six, uh, it reads that uh, Joseph was there uh, was thirty years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out uh, from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt during the seven years of abundance, and the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the, the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored in the cities. Uh, in, in the cities, in each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Uh, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that. He stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Um, and jumping down to verse 50, uh, 53, uh, then seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. Um, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, 
the people cried to Pharaoh for, for food. The Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. So uh, the re reason why I bring, bring this scripture uh, uh, to us is because uh, that's kind of how insurance can work, okay? It's uh, when, when the world is against us, when everything is against us, insurance can step in and be that, that help for us. Uh, it, can, it, can, it can be our storehouse, if you will. If we're investing in the insurance programs, it can be that storehouse for us. Uh, and it also teaches us also to be a good steward of what we have. Um, so, you know, uh, we'll jump into it. The, the purpose of insurance is essentially to transfer risk. Okay, you're transferring your risk to an insurance carrier. Uh, and it also gives you peace of mind. So a lot of times when you think about insurance, you think, oh, I pay out these monthly premiums and they don't pay me anything, but you do drive with peace of mind. You don't think about, you're not worried about getting involved in an accident because you have peace of mind because you know that if you do get involved in an accident, you will know that you will have coverage, okay? You know that you won't be responsible to have to pay out for somebody else's damages. You know if you have comprehensive and collision coverage, we'll touch base on that, that your vehicle also will be repaired as well so you can have confidence and the peace of mind because of that. Uh, also, before we jump in, I think I forgot to say this. Now, Chris is teaching us how to play great offense. Now I'm gonna teach us how to play great defense. Okay. Um, so this is a great defensive measure. Uh, uh, purpose of insurance, five things. It pays for cover losses, so it pays for cover accidents. Two, it manages our cash flow uncertainties, okay? So, so for us, it provides us security when accidents occur. Again, as I stated before, we know things will be taken care of. Also, it satisfies legal requirements, okay? So in all 50 states, it is mandatory for you to carry liability insurance for automobile policies or for automobile, okay? So it's mandatory. It's not, you know... We're under the rule of the land. You need to have automobile insurance for liability coverages yeah. in all 50 states. Also, it provides uh, uh, credit support. So for us who own homes, everybody here own homes or aspire to have own homes, proof of insurance before receiving a home equity loan is a necessity. You got to have it unless you're balling, unless you got money <laughs> like that, and you can go out and you can pay cash money for your home. You got to have... <laughs> some type of proof of insurance to be able to do so, okay? Um, uh, lastly, it reduces social burdens, okay? So uh, essentially, insurance helps reduce the, the burden of uncompensated accidents. You don't want anybody running into your house and you don't want anybody running into your car that doesn't have insurance, okay? Because then who's, who, who's that going to fall back on? You. And you're going to be responsible for your deductible and you're going to be responsible for getting your house repaired and you're going to be mad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it reduces social burdens. Okay. It is. It is, it is what it is. Amen. Uh, cover accidents also must be sudden, direct, and accidental. Okay. So the coin turn is it must be a fortuitous loss. Okay. It's something that can't you can't plan it. That's fraud. You, you know you can't you know you can't plan. It can't be something that's staged. It must be a fortuitous loss. 
uh, and when, when it occurs, and it also yeah. must be definite and measurable. Okay, so it must, it must be a loss that is defined in time, cause, uh, and location, and it must be measurable. I rear-ended Mark Panorama this morning at 5.30 this morning, uh, caused injuries and damages to him, and uh, this is how much insurance I have, this is how much it's going to cost to get his vehicle repaired. It's measurable. It's a time. It's measurable. It's defined, and it's definite. Okay. Uh, important terms. I don't know if I... Important terms that we need to know about insurance um, are premiums. Okay. So uh, most people know what a premium is, but if you don't, it's the amount of money that an individual or a business pays to an insurer to provide them with that service. Uh, uh, term two, a deductible. A deductible is the amount that you must meet or you must, that, that the, the damages must meet before the insurance carrier will pay out, okay? So essentially it's the, the risk that the risk that you keep. You keep this portion of the risk. Uh, you, you don't transfer this risk, you, you, you keep the risk, okay? So that's what a deductible is and, um, and uh, an interesting thing is, or not interesting thing that you need to know is the more risk that you retain, it's called risk retention, the more risk that you retain, uh, the lower your premiums will be. So if you have a $250 deductible, you raise it to $1,000, your premiums are going to decrease. Okay? But that's also something to consider when we talk about having an uh, emergency fund. Having that emergency fund for events that occur that way, if you want to increase your, uh, your, your deductible, you have that money set aside in the event that, that you do get involved in an accident, you can draw from that money, therefore decreasing your premiums, therefore decreasing your monthly payment. It's just a thought. I'm not saying that it's mandatory, but it's something to think about, okay? Um, also, limits. Uh, applies for liability losses, okay, and also applies for uh, uh, losses that, that pay out for for single losses and other other ways. But limits are essentially, from a liability standpoint, meaning you're liable for damaging someone else's goods or, or property or them. Uh, the, the limits is the most that that the insurer will pay out on on something. If you're talking about liability limits, or you're talking about, excuse me, limits uh, for homes, uh, the, the limits is the most that the insurance policy will pay out for a home, or the most the, the insurance company will pay out for a whole life policy, or a life policy. So we'll touch on all those things here momentarily. Uh, co-pays, everybody I think is familiar with co-pays, but they're usually applying uh, health insurance policies where you have to pay a copay when you go to the doctor, mm -hmm. so forth and so on. So just a couple of point terms that I feel like we need to be uh, familiar with. Uh, okay, auto insurance, let's dive in. Dang. All right, uh, auto insurance. Um, so uh, we'll start off with the liability portion of it. Liability uh, insurance is for uh, when, when you're responsible, okay, you're liable for the damages to somebody else's vehicle. I rear Bobby Pierce, the rear end Bobby Pearson. I'm responsible for damaging Bobby Pearson's uh, vehicle. Okay, so I'm responsible. That's what liability, that's what the liability coverage on their, your insurance policy covers. Okay, so that's the liability portion of it. Now, um, all 50 states, as I said before, 
Um, it is mandatory that you have uh, liability coverage under your insurance, insurance policy if you're operating a land motor vehicle with four more reels. It's just mandatory, you gotta have it, okay? Uh, liability insurance is also applicable in two ways. It's for injuries and property damage. Two ways, injuries and property damage. And that's very important that you need to understand uh, because there are second, separate limits for your liability for injuries if you hit somebody and you injured them and there's separate limits for when you hit somebody and hit somebody's vehicle and you damage their vehicle. So for their property, their damages. There are two separate limits. They don't conjoin together. Just FYI, and, and I'll, we'll touch base a little bit here momentarily. And um, now, um, also, uh, liability limits are depending on you. You dictate that, okay? So you, when you go to your insurance carrier, you tell them how much liability limits you would like, okay? I will tell you this, don't go into an insurance agency and ask them for the lowest possible rate. Yeah. Because if you do, you're setting yourself up for failure. Okay, a lot of us, or I, I've been guilty of it, I went in, I want the lowest possible rate, what's the lowest amount of uh, money premiums I can get, what they're gonna provide you is what they call the state minimum limit. Okay, and the state minimum limit in Virginia is 25, 50,000, 20,000. I'll explain it to you momentarily. Don't go into an insurance agency and ask them for the most, least expensive policy, because they're not, they're, they're gonna give you a policy, and it's gonna give you coverage, but it's not gonna cover you adequately. Just FYI. So when I was talking about the, the state minimum limits in, in the state of Virginia, uh, it's 25, 50, 25. That means $25,000 per person for injuries. So if you hit somebody, you injure a single person, $25,000. $50,000 for a total accident, which means if that person was driving or riding with two other people, it's only gonna pay out a total of $50,000 per per accident, $20,000 for people's property damage, okay? So we, do we have any healthcare providers in here? Anybody? Nope, I thought we were gonna have some nurses here. Anyway, $25,000 and $50,000 is not a lot of money when you talk about injuries or being in the hospital. So let's get that in our minds that if you hit somebody and you cause bodily injury to somebody, it's, it's very easy to rack up $25,000. And then if you don't, that's all your insurance carrier pays for. After that, they come after you directly and your assets. So it's just something to, it's something to consider. Uh, $20,000 for property damage. Who has a, whose car costs more than $20,000 here? Anybody? I hope nobody, but anyway. It's a lot of people in the world whose cars, it's a lot of people in the world whose cars cost $25,000, $30,000. What this policy is essentially saying is it's only gonna pay $20,000 for somebody else's property damage that you caused. You total loss, a Toyota Camry fully loaded, it's gonna cost you about $30,000. Your insurance carrier is only gonna pay $20,000. The remainder is coming to you. Again, they're gonna, they're gonna get their money, okay? So, and they have lawyers and all that that, that help them with that. The collection agencies, whatever. Uh, so I, I don't recommend, if you can afford it, this is my recommendation, you take it or leave it. It's just my recommendation. I recommend that everybody carry, if you can afford it, and it's, it's actually pretty nominal, but at least check into it. If you don't can't afford it, at least check into it. Call somebody, ask about it. I recommend that you carry at least 250000 500000 
$100,000 for liability limits. I'm just saying it, it might seem a lot, but it, I, I guarantee you it's not as much as, it, as you think to add to your policy. Is that based on the number of drivers you have in your house? No. So, so the, the policy limits, uh, now that will affect your premiums, how many drivers you have in your house. Uh, but but the, the liability limits are solely for whoever is driving your vehicle with permission, permissive use, or using your vehicle with your permission, and if they are involved in an accident, and they are the responsible party for the accident. Um, so these are, are essentially, they cover you and they protect you from injuries that that person may sustain or, or property damage that you may cause or the driver of your vehicle may cause. So 250,000, 500,000, 100,000 is what I recommend. And is that, that's full coverage? We'll, we'll talk about that. There's no such thing as full coverage. Uh, it's it's kind of somewhat, you, now you could say, oh, I got full coverage insurance because I have liability, comprehensive, collision, rental, all that. But if you hit a Bugatti, a $6 million car, <laughs> and you total, you total the Bugatti, your insurance carrier is going to pay your policy limits. Is that full coverage? Are you fully covered for the Bugatti? You're not. So it's a myth in some regards. I'm not saying that there's no such thing, like people coin that term, but the, it's a limit mm -hmm. on what your insurance carrier will pay. Right. So they coin it, it so, so yes and no. So that just gives you a coverage that will allow you to be comfortable and confident. You, you won't be, you know, it's a lot of Teslas around Charlottesville, the car, the Teslas, and then, you know, a lot of BMWs, and a lot of expensive cars. Uh, if you were to hit one of those vehicles, will you have the amount of coverage necessary to repair that person's vehicle if you're responsible? Uh, so I'm, that, that's what I'm trying to get people to think about, like, you know, making sure that you're adequately covered. Now, and it doesn't cost that much money. It really doesn't. You, you, you just have to ask. For some people, it may be if you have a bad driver record, but that's why your pilot premiums are high. It's not because you, you know, it's not because of the actual insurance is high. It's because you may be a bad driver or you may, I mean, it, you might have been involved in a couple of accidents. So it's not because, of, it's not because of the coverage. A lot of times it's because of us. Just, just, Keep it real. I'm not saying that was anybody in here. I'm not. Um, so that's just that's just a recommendation. Take it or leave it. Uh, let's talk about first party coverages. Uh, and I don't want to go too long. Uh, first party coverages, uh, meaning uh, they cover me. So now we talked about liability before. They cover everybody else. First party coverage just covers me. They cover my vehicle. They cover people in my vehicle. Um, and that consists of comprehensive and collision coverage, medical payments coverage, rental car coverage, tow and roadside assistance, under, un, uninsured and underinsured motor vehicle coverage. And I'll touch base quickly on all of those. A lot of people, how, how many people know what comprehensive loss is? Com difference between comprehensive and collision loss. Well, uh, comprehensive is, uh, that's like, Something just tree falls on your car or something like that. Okay, yeah. Tree falls on your car, yeah. Or, 
Uh-huh. Deer Rex. There you go, Deer Rex. Anybody else? Windshield. Oh. What's that? Broken windshield. Yep, rock hits the windshield. So, yeah. So, that's a, a what, what they consider a missile. What Christian said, <laughs> really, that's what the coin term is. It's a missile, and that's, that is true. So these are comprehensive losses, okay? These are comprehensive losses. They're traditionally acts of God, malice or malicious intent on one, uh, or, or just pure out negligence. Now, Chris brought up a good example. Uh, say you're driving behind the dump trunk, and the dump trunk failed to secure his load. He said he failed to secure his load properly and something jumps out of that dump truck and hits your car. Mm -hmm. That's still a comprehensive loss, but he's still negligent because he, he, the, the, the dump truck driver failed to secure his load. Mm -hmm. So even though it's a comprehensive loss, it still can be some liability there. Okay, or a person, a tree falls on your car mm -hmm. and that person, you've been telling that person for six months that that tree is rotten <laughs> and it's going to eventually fall and that tree eventually falls, that insurance carrier is gonna come after you. So that's another thing that, you know, if you have some trees, make sure you take care of them. <laughs> Amen. Uh, so, so these are just all examples of, of, of comprehensive losses. Uh, you take a look at them, death, total death, partial fires, total fires. Uh, there's some nuances in the policy. I'll talk to you about them if you ever have questions. Yeah. It's true. Very true. It's not. You got to have the coverage, and again, it's the first part of coverages that you have to have. These aren't mandatory, people. This is something complete. Like the state doesn't tell you you got to have these coverages. This is something voluntarily. You you get these because you want them or you need them or whatever. So you make the decision. The state doesn't tell you. The federal government doesn't tell you about this one. Collision coverage. Collision coverage is just what it says. It's something you're colliding with a vehicle, multiple vehicles, uh, potholes, unfortunately. I know people get angry about that, but yeah, pothole is definitely collision coverage. Um, I know a good example. Teresa was driving the car. She, she and her mom were going to uh, uh, Elkton, and uh, there was a rock in the road, and anyway, she ran over it. Yeah. It was a big enough rock, and it busted the whole pan. Mm -hmm. And of course, we had to take it to the shop. And then what the insurance company was, well, did the rock roll across the road and you hit it, or was the rock sitting in the road and you hit it? Right. We were sitting. We were honest about it. We said, no, I'm sitting there. Collision. So that's collision. That's collision, 100%. But if I had to say, no, it rolled across and I ran over it, it would have been comprehensive. It would have been comprehensive because it's a moving object. So it's a moving object. So some nuances there again. Y'all want me to tell you about them? I tell you all about them. <laughs> There's some nuances there. It's very important for you to understand. Not to, not to say that we're going to be dishonest, but just to know, understand that if you hit a rock and roll and it's sitting there, and it's a collision law. So multi multi car collisions as well, but then also colliding with something, hitting a tree, hitting a guardrail, all that. That's all, that's all the collision loss. Let me tell you, let's go back to liability real quick. If you hit a guardrail, the state is going to send you a bill. 
<laughs> if the police come, the state will send you a bill for the guardrail or the fence or whatever. So, liability cover. When you talk about guardrails, you're talking those can be pretty expensive to recover. Anyway, I don't want to get, but just saying, guardrails, <laughs> fences, state property, all that, that doesn't, it's not covered under state taxpayer dollars. The insurance carriers pay a lot of that. All right. Okay. Uh, oh, let me go back. All right. So, um, all, quickly, metal, uh, rental car. Rental car is when your vehicle is uh, non-drivable or, or, or in the shop under repairs. The optional coverage. State of Virginia max is I think nine hundred dollars you can carry on your on, on on your policy. So that's for rental cars. When your vehicle is non-drivable, uh, in the shop under repairs due to a cover comprehensive or collision loss. Okay, so that's when rental kicks in. Medical payments. Medical payments are is something that is applicable to you, first party coverage and your passengers. So again, this is something that you request and you can have on your policy. It usually comes in the form of $1,000, $5,000, and so forth and so on. For medical payments coverage, if somebody, if you're involved in the accident, you hurt yourself or you hurt your passengers. Now, traditionally, what's covered there is, uh, it's not a $5,000, like say I got $5,000 of medical payments coverage on my policy. That means that if I had three passengers and all of us are injured, the policy will pay up a max of $15,000. So it's $5,000 per person. Okay? So $5,000 per person. So that's something separate that you have to focus on putting on your policy? That's, a, that's a, another added thing that you can add to your policy. Mm -hmm. What do you recommend? It's, it's really up to you. It could be anything. What do you have? <laughs> maybe $5,000 maybe? For real? Yeah, maybe. maybe. And now how much, in other words, somebody's hurt. Take your hospital bill. How much does their, you know, their health insurance mm -hmm. come into this? Because you got your car insurance that's taken care of them. But at what point does their own health insurance, or if it, in my case, uh, I, you know, I, I'm in the accident, I get hurt. I got car insurance taken care of my medical bills, but then I got health insurance. So where, you know, where does one kick in to take care of somebody? It depends. Yeah. So it, it depends. It depends. One, it, if you're at fault. So liability is a big big indicator there. If you're if you're if you're not responsible, then the other insurance carrier is going to pay under their liability limits. Okay? So, but if you do have medical payments coverage, it's not So let me just say this right. You still can collect medical payments coverage, first party coverages, medical payments coverage even if the other person is paying out for injuries that you sustained under their liability coverage. Okay? So you can double dip. Okay? Uh, the, if you don't have medical payments coverage under your policy, your insurance carrier is not going to pay for medical for any medical treatment. It has to go through your insurance carrier. The health insurance. Health insurance. If you don't carry it, and you're the responsible responsible party, so it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Tom, you you rear-ended me, and you banged your head, mm -hmm. and you don't have medical payments coverage under your policy. Your insurance carrier is not going to pay for insurance. I guess what I'm getting at, mm -hmm. okay, so now, uh, in the other scenario where, okay, I I hit you, mm -hmm. uh, it's my fault, you're, you got major surgery going on, mm -hmm. uh, and you have health insurance. Mm -hmm. uh, so, at what, I guess my, you know, at what point, but I don't have anything, I'm just like, mm -hmm. 
So it's liability. So 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 if you hit me, you were in me, you're responsible. You're responsible for my injuries. Well, your health insurance that you're paying for kick in at some point. Yeah, so you have a health insurance policy and you have you have your own you, you work somewhere you have your health insurance policy. I guess what I'm trying to clarify though is are you saying if you're responsible or you're not responsible? No, I'm just saying, in my, if it happened because of an accident, is your health insurance going to take care of you anyway? They, they will. In spite of they, I, Yes, so, so they, they will. Your health insurance uh, will, will cover you, but they're going to make sure that the policy is exhausted first. Gotcha, okay. So anything that they can get from an automobile policy, that needs to be paid first. And then, then they would kick in. Then they would kick in. Yeah. So, so again, it, it, that that is contingent upon liability. Depending now, medical payments is different because that's an optional coverage that you don't have to carry, and that's a first party coverage. So that's for you. Uh, liability is different, as I stated before. Everybody should have liability coverage. Um, now let's say, now let's say I didn't have insurance, but or, now they're going to come out after my health before your health insurance kicks in. No, if you if you have liability insurance, but you don't. In other words, which you have. To have yes. Have to have so if you're uninsured, if you're driving uninsured, then that's a. That's then they gonna come. They gonna come after come after your your assets. Insurance. Go ahead. One thing you can tell us, like if you uh, break an arm or something like that, or one of your kids does or whatever, you probably get something in the mail from your insurance medical insurance carrier. They'll say, was this part of an accident or something like that? Because just like Andre said, they're going to see if they can first get money from somewhere else before they pay out. So when you get that question asking that, of course you're going to be honest, but that's why they're asking because they want to say, hey, is someone else you know, primarily responsible or another entity before we have to pay? I guess I was confused about that. So if you have, you know, in the beginning you were talking about like the bare minimum mm -hmm. and it doesn't cover much for the person that you injured, mm -hmm. um, are they coming? Are they going to come after you if they have medical insurance? They will. Yes, they will. They will. Yes, they, will. They, will. They, they definitely will. So, so the whole thing is when you injure somebody, and that's why it's important. That's why I wanted to take some time. If you injure somebody and you're responsible and you have the minimum liability limits. Great point. Great, great case scenario. I had twenty-five thousand dollars of liability limits for an individual person. No, no. Their medical expenses are one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Your insurance carrier is going to pay twenty-five thousand dollars. Their medical insurance is going to pay one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. You're responsible. They're going to seek repayment. That's financial ruin. So, so put it in that perspective. They want to be compensated. Uh, even uh, in the military, which you would think would be different, uh, uh, we had a home and we had homeowners insurance. Uh, and, and but the person whose child was hurt is military. We're military. We're all going to the same Uncle Sam hospital. They came after our homeowners insurance to pay themselves. Yep. The little girl got. Got, got injured on their property. Yep. Yeah, it was a complete accident. She just fell down. She bumped her head. She cut. They, I don't know if it would have been different if they'd gone to the maybe hospital, but they went to an outside hospital. Champus came back and, and made our house payment. Hey, even though we're all in the same 
We're all in the same family. It was Navy Medical. It's the same thing. If you, if I have State Farm, you have State Farm, you hit me, State Farm is going to go after your policy. And if you don't have enough coverages, they're coming after you, even though you're insured with them. It's just a, a, a engagement, I guess, if you will. Uh, so, so yeah, so that, that's kind of how it works. So, uh, also, roadside assistance. Uh, just quickly, roadside assistance, uh, of course, is what it says it is, but also it has a couple of different nuances. Roadside assistance can also uh, send somebody out if you lock your keys in the car. Roadside assistance can also pay for a tow. Um, so you have mechanical failure. It can tow your vehicle. Some of us have AAA. Anybody have AAA and and and, and, and automobile insurance and roadside assistance? You're overinsured. I do too. I, I fall into that, but it's because of my mom. Because that same that same roadside assistance on your insurance policy also covers you for the same type of stuff. So so just just consider when we talk about budgeting, consider it's it's the same coverage. So so it covers for breakdowns. Uh, ladies, if you guys aren't aren't. Uh, familiar with the changing a tire, so come out, change the tire, put your donut on, whatever. So that same roadside service will help in that area. Men okay? too. Men too. Actually, it happened to me the other day. We won't talk about that. <laughs> so can can figure it out. Um, amen. About rental car, not not the rental car from Texas, but a rental car. Like if we're flying to Texas, we need to rent a car. Mm. And they always say, do you want rental car insurance? Yes. Um, and a lot of times they try to tell you your insurance doesn't cover it. So, right. Yeah. They're, they're, they're lying. <laughs> what? They're lying. They're lying. They're lying. Wait, so, so you get rental insurance? Not if you rent a car. So let me, all right, let's back up. Let's back up because yes. I don't want everybody not getting rental insurance, okay? So when you go rent a vehicle, you go rent a car from Avis, Hertz, Enterprise, whatever, and you have automobile insurance, you have comprehensive and you have collision coverage, under your liability or under your policy. Mm -hmm. You do not need to purchase the additional insurance. So that covers you even if you're driving a car? E even if you're driving a rental car. Now, nuances, you can't stay in that same vehicle for longer than 30, 28 to 31 consecutive days. Mm -hmm. Now what you can do is you can go and return that rental car in 30 days and then hop in another one, and then it starts over again. <laughs> I, most people don't keep rental cars that long, but just FYI, uh, you don't have to purchase the additional insurance. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and they really have to, too. Oh, no. They, they do. Cover. They will cover it. If that's true. What if you only have, like, bill and you do a rental? No, you need it. You need the collision damage waiver. You don't need, you don't need liability coverage, or you don't need the whole gauntlet. But you need you, you need the lot you need the comprehensive and collision coverage. So so you have to. It's very important that you understand you have to have comprehensive and collision coverage if you rent a vehicle and you don't purchase the additional insurance. That has to be on there. If you only have liability, then you don't need to buy the additional liability insurance because your policy will roll over onto the liability. But for collision damage waiver, you need that. That's what it's usually called collision damage waiver. All right. Um, uh, under un, underinsured uh, underinsured motor vehicle coverage. 
It means that somebody hits you with one of those state state policy limits, those limited, you're limited, that somebody else hit you and they're responsible, then this jumps in. This, this, this under your policy will step in and pay for medical payments and property damage in the event that somebody is underinsured. They don't have an adequate insurance to cover the loss that they have with you. Uninsured motor vehicle coverage is for someone who is uninsured. So they don't have any coverage. Also, hit and runs. Somebody hits your vehicle, takes off. Somebody hits your vehicle in the parking lot. Underinsured, uninsured motor vehicle coverage covers your vehicle. In the state of Virginia, I believe the deductible drops to 200. Okay, in all situations, your deductible will be $200 in an uninsured motor vehicle claim. Do you have to, have, you have to ask them to put that on policy? You or do. You do? Yeah, that's one of the things that you have to ask them for. And then you, all, recommend, so, you recommend how much? Uh, probably whatever, I mean, you could do whatever. Traditionally, that what they're gonna give you is they're gonna give you, uh, they're gonna give you what you have in liability coverage, traditionally. How they how they're gonna do it? I can't. Remember. I was looking for something, um, but yeah. So so the uninsured motor vehicle coverage, two hundred dollars uh, will cover that. That the deductible will, will go to two hundred. Two hundred dollars for the deductible. Yeah. So the first, so I think I was looking for this. So all these right here. All these are 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 you asked for. You ask for all of these right here, and you ask for the different limits on all of those right here. I'm happy to sit down and talk to anybody who's interested. But all these, you ask, those are things that, that, that you need to ask your insurance carrier for, and also you need to adjust the, the amount that you're asking for as well. Okay, so that's not a, Bobby? Like Adding each one of those to your policy is only is, is only going to run you like 10, 20, 30 extra dollars. That doesn't cost much. It's not a whole lot. It's not. And that's what I'm trying to tell people, especially even from a liability portion. It's not a whole lot of money to add to it. Just ask is what I'm saying. And if it is, then don't get it. But if it ain't, at least you know. When you see So medical payments is a bit different from liability coverage for medical. Lab, medical payments is for you and your the people that are in your vehicle. Liability is for outside of your vehicle. Mm -hmm. All right. So I know I'm going long here. All right. Uh, so um, all right. So homeowners, let's let's jump to homeowners insurance real quick. Uh, so homeowners insurance um, uh, covers physical damages to homes as a result of an accident that is direct, sudden, accidental. Okay, so it's um, it's it's essentially the same type of or similar insurance to what you cover for your vehicle. Um, it also, you know, as Marie says, has some liability on there as well. Uh, but you, you must, uh, you know, most people carry a value policy on your insurance to value policy on their homes. Like essentially, um, you know, they, uh, these policies for, for homeowners covers your dwelling place. So the actual dwelling place, the, the actual structure 
and then it also has coverage for the contents of your home. Okay, the content, your belongings, your clothes, your TVs, your your, your furniture, all of that. So that so you have coverage for the content and the coverage for the dwelling of your home. Okay, uh, most of us in here, I'm pretty certain, are underinsured for the contents of their home. Yeah. So if you have a complete total loss. A complete tear down, burn out fire. Most of us are underinsured. So it's just something to consider. You always have to do, uh, what's important here is to do an assessment on your home every five, to, every five years, I recommend. Uh, every five years, do an assessment on your home to make sure that you are adequately insuring both your content and your premises and the dwelling because uh, your property value increases if you keep your, your coverages the same amount as when you first bought the home and your property value increases, then you're under, uh, underinsured. You don't have now enough money to, if in the event of a total loss, to completely re replace your home. So always do a, do a reassessment every five years. And then also too, uh, the contents, if you put in a new surround sound system or you got a couple of new TVs and you keep your, your content of your home the same and you have an accident, then you might be out of luck. The insurance carrier has a limit on how much they're gonna pay for that you request each month. You control that. Okay, so that's just something to be aware of. Also, quickly, I know a lot of people are talking about emergency funds and things like that. Some people don't like these things. Take it with a grain of salt. It's perfectly fine not to use them, but you have what they call, oh, and then also homeowners aren't for deferred maintenance, okay? A homeowner's claim, like wear and tear. So say for instance, if you have a drip under your sink and it's been dripping for six months or it's been dripping for a year and it's wearing and it's, in, it's tearing and eventually your pipe bursts, your pipe finally goes. What's direct, sudden, and accidental? Your pipe bursting. What's not direct and sudden, accidental is the wood rot. It does not care. It does not cover the wood rot. It does not cover the structure around it. It just covers the burst pipe. Okay, so it doesn't cover for wear and tear, and it doesn't cover for for. It just covers for direct, sudden, and accidental. So that's very important. Home, home warranties. Home warranties, we talked a little bit about having savings plans for different things. Some people don't like them because they say that you can save the money and, and, and build an emergency fund, so forth and so on. But if you're interested in home warranties, they can cost you about 40 or 50 bucks and they cover all your major appliances, all your major systems, your furnace, your air conditioning, uh, even your ceiling fan. Um, it covers your washer and dryer, it covers your refrigerator. Um, and if something was to go wrong, they will repair it or they would replace it. It is. It's usually about uh, fifty to hundred bucks. Again, you you decide on that. But you you know again you you, you got to do a cost benefit analysis is of you spending that forty or fifty bucks a month or saving that forty or fifty bucks a month to put towards a rainy day fund for something to happen to your home. Okay. Uh, it's, a home mortgage or a home or a home home insurance uh, is completely different for, than private mortgage insurance. Okay, private mortgage insurance is for 
uh, insurance that, that protects the lender in the event that you uh, that you can't pay for, for pay your rent or pay your mortgage. It, it, it actually is to cover the lender uh, if you default on a loan. Yeah, you having some more? <laughs> All right, uh, so, so it is different, private mortgage insurance, okay? I have a Okay, go ahead. Oh, never mind, you're coming out. I'm coming, uh, I'm trying to hurry up. All right, so renter's insurance. Renter's insurance is for, again, it covers your personal belongings uh, while residing, sweetie, yeah, I know, uh, residing in the rental property, okay? So if you're residing in a rental property, it covers your content. The content of your home is covered. Don't 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 be mistaken. Just because the dwelling is insured, so the property owner may insure the home for the dwelling place, but they have no financial interest in your content. So there are exclusions in their policy language that does not cover the content of your home of, of your belongings. So you have to have renter's insurance. Uh, in the event of death, fire, tornado, whatever, if you don't have that, you know, a really bad story, girl that used to live under me, pipes burst in, 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 in the uh, apartment complex we lived in, she didn't have renter's insurance, it damaged all of her stuff. The, uh, the complex paid for nothing, because she was supposed to have renter's insurance. So, um, so, so yeah, so, so anything like that, so make sure, if it, again, it, it's not covered under the property owner's policy. Mm -hmm. uh, it, that's your responsibility to have renter's insurance. So I have a question about the PMI. Um, huh? You can drop that coverage if your house is worth 20%. Percent, 20%, right? So, but, but your mortgage company is not going to tell you that you hit the 20% so you can drop that coverage. That is correct. So you so need to be on top of it. So as long as private mortgage insurance. So if you don't have essentially how the private mortgage insurance usually works is if you don't have twenty percent down, now it might be some nuances here, just to, but if you don't have twenty percent to put down on your home, the bank is gonna require that you have private mortgage insurance. It's what got us in trouble in the housing bubble in some regards. One of the facets that got us in trouble with the housing bubble. Um, but but if you don't have 20% to put down, then they're going to ask that you have private mortgage insurance. And they say for the first five years, but it could take much longer than five years for you to actually pay that off. So you need to be diligent. You need to get to the 20% as much as fast as possible so that it can drop off. And you need to tell them to drop it off because they're not going to tell you. It's, so when you pay 20% in any fashion, mm -hmm. right, then you can drop it. You can drop it. So if the value on your house goes up yep. to the point where you now, your loan is only 80% of the value of your house, you can call them and drop it. It could. Now, there might be some policy, there might be some language in there that, that tells you that you may have to refinance. And you don't want to refinance. Right. You don't want to refinance because you're starting all over again. So I would be very wary of that. You can always ask. So it doesn't hurt to ask, but but they might make you try to refinance. Okay, so just uh, just uh, and uh, and you guys can answer some. Yeah. You can refinance though without starting with thirty years of right? You just say it. Say I've been say I've had my house for five years. Mm -hmm. I can still keep my house for five years. So extending it to thirty years out, right? There may be some out there like that, but usually you're refinancing back into a thirty-year loan. Mm -hmm. Whichever whichever way you want to do it. 
So you, 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 you want to look at the fine print because it, normally if you're refinancing, you're refinancing for a lower interest rate. And if you're, or you're, you're yeah. So, so I would be wary of that. They're still, they're probably gonna refinance you for another 30, not 25. They don't care about you in the five years that you pay. They're trying to make you pay, owe them as much as, as long as they can. Okay, so uh, life insurance, whole life versus term policies, okay? So, and I don't think I have another slide here. Okay, yeah, do whole life. So whole life, you know, essentially, um, you know, uh, life, life insurance is for loss of income due to death. So we, if God, for whatever takes us away from here, it, or some unfortunate event takes us away, this is what life insurance policies carry. Now, the younger you are, the less expensive it's gonna be. So when you purchase it earlier on in life, it's gonna be a little bit less expensive. Now, whole life policies have a cash value which fund the savings program, okay, usually, usually. They, they fund the savings program, okay? So, and again, the, the whole life is derived from, uh, in the event that something unfortunate happens and you, and you pass away. But it's also set up uh, to provide an annuity payment or savings plan for you uh, that you can draw upon once you get to a certain age, usually about 70. 70. 70. Okay, so so usually about 70 you can start drawing. So it's almost like a savings, a, a retirement savings plan that they kind of use it as that you pay into throughout the course of your life. Okay, now the kicker with this, and I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not advocating for either one. I know different people that have both of them. Okay, I'm not advocating for either one. But in a whole, in, uh, in a whole life policy, you also forfeit forfeit the savings plan if you pass away. Okay? Most of the most of the safe, most of the whole life policies if you were to live until you were 72 and you passed away, normally you're going to forfeit that savings plan. The policy is going to pay $250,000, $500,000 or whatever you paid for for that for that whole life policy. But it's you're gonna forfeit the 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 hundred and twenty or hundred and fifty dollars that you saved in the savings plan. Does that make sense? So if you got five hundred thousand dollars of life uh, whole life policy, uh, and then you have two hundred, you've accumulated two hundred and fifty thousand dollars in the savings plan over here. So you got five hundred thousand for limits on the policy, two fifty that you saved. The five hundred thousand will be paid out. The two hundred and fifty will go to the insurer. Can you, when you hit seventy, can you take all of that, or do you have to take a little bit? I think they probably make you take a little bit. They, they make they take a minimum amount. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, if I know this, I would have sucked it out of dad's account years, you know, for the last three years. Because yep. now we're in that the same exact thing. Same like thing. like thirty years of savings is going to be gone. Gone. And they might pay for the they they'll pay out for the policy, but they won't they, they don't give you they won't give you they won't give you the, 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 the annuity payments that's coming that that's a, the savings come that he's been paying into for however many years. What's savings account? It's just a savings account. It's kind of like a, a retirement account that you're putting money into. So if you have a retirement account and a whole life account. You can have both. But when he's seventy and he dies. You only have the, the face value of the policy. You only have the face value of the policy. 
they usually they don't tell you that, but they, they send a small print. <laughs> but if you die before seventy or whatever, you your your beneficiaries get both. Nope. Nope. So what's the plan? You die. When do you draw out? I'm not. Hey, I'm not advocating for. Like I said, I'm trying to you pay. Have to cash out. You cash out. You, have to cash. you basically <laughs> before you die, I think you cash out the whole policy. Yeah. I'm trying to stay unbiased here. Because I don't want to. Because we all know when we're going to die. We're not, I'm not telling you what you, what you should get, but that, that, I mean, those are good questions to ask. But, but they're only paying out the face value of the actual whole life policy. The savings is lost. You can choose to cash out at some point and just take your savings account. You cannot. Can you cash out? I think okay. there is a cash out, but you don't okay. get the face value. But, it's a, but is it a, a, a penalty? I guess a different perspective on that, and I'm not saying you're yeah. different, but I have whole life and I have term. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole life that I have, I don't look at it, at least mine is not a savings plan. It's just uh, as I go on, I earn interest on the amount of insurance over time. And that, I guess you could call it a savings plan, and it does have a cash value. The way I look at it, though, if I pass away, uh, Gabrielle is going to get the full right. uh, policy limit, which is more than I have in the savings, if you want to call it the right. savings account anyway. Yeah. So I just look at it as an added benefit that if I need that money, mm. I can cash it out and I can take that money. Mm. But I don't want to do that because that means that there's no insurance benefit there if I do pass away. Right. So uh, there might be other types where mm. you pay into it, but I don't send any money. I just pay a certain amount which is just the, the premium uh, for the insurance, and it happens to gain the cash value as we go. Right. So I don't look at it as a savings account, other than if I need emergency money, I can cash it out, otherwise it's, it's insurance. Right, so again, it's different, different people have different philosophies, and I think there's benefits to both. In case in point, Chris's benefit. Uh, but I have both, I have term yeah. Right, so, so it's benefits to both. Um, so again, I'm not advocating for both, Either one, I'm being partial. I hope I'm sounding partial. I'm probably not. Anyway, uh, uh, so so um, usually they're 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 a bit more expensive. Usually, and I, I don't have one, but that I've heard that they can be a little bit more expensive. And then um, and then uh, I think personally, for me, like ultimately. Um, I would like to, to kind of get to a point where I'm self-insuring myself. So where I am, when I have monies put away in the Roth IRA or IRA account, that's going to serve the same purpose as a whole life policy. That 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 would be my my strategy towards my financial situation, where I can, uh, I, yes, sweetie, uh, that I can that I can kind of. Uh, bypass that, but I think you know it's it's just I mean it's different methods. So no method is better than the other. It's just different methods. Okay, uh, a term policy and um, term policies are just as it states. It's for a term, and it's usually no built-in savings plan. It's just for a term, and you can get five-year term policies, ten-year, twenty, fifteen, so forth. So thirty-year term policy, you can get a term policy until you turn seventy. Uh, is different options and different vehicles out there for you to have. Um, my understanding is term policies can be a little bit more, a, a little less expensive, uh, but they do what they say. They, they cover you for a term. Uh, they cover you for a term, uh, five, 10 years, 20 years or whatever, and then it drops off. So essentially you lose that money you don't like in the whole life policy. You don't have any type of savings plan or anything like that. 
Um, but the hope is that you were using other investment vehicles to be prepared, uh, you know, in other ways. So anyway, uh, you know, the, the, that's kind of the, the, the term policy route. Recommendations uh, to buy uh, 10 times your income in, in insurance policies, uh, 10 times your income. So if you make $50,000 a year, buy $500,000 of, of term whole life policy. Um, also, um, uh, don't forget to insure your spouse. Even stay-at-home moms, even stay-at-home moms, do they serve a purpose? Heck yeah. So they serve a purpose. So twenty-four to forty thousand dollars, or if consider that they make twenty-four to forty thousand dollars a year, get them a two hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand dollar life policy. Okay, they serve a purpose. Um, and then you know these are in place so that so that your spouse or that your benefit uh, beneficiaries are taken care of in the event that something happens to you. They can this money can be invested and it can be built upon um, so that they'll be taken care of for the rest of their lives. It's going to supplement or take care of your income that you no longer are able to make. Hi, so I have a question about um, life insurance policies about how many you carry because. I get life insurance through work, right? And so obviously you lose your job, they let you stay on or get paid, blah, blah, blah. But I'm just thinking, do you carry the insurance at work and then also carry a separate policy that's not through your work? Or, I mean, is it, is it, is it they put all your eggs in one basket for 10 times? Right. Or is it you buy two policies, one for this and this one for that? So I, I, mean, I have one through my job. And then I also we also purchase outside of it, so I I don't know if it's any rhyme or reason. Chris, do you have any perspective on that? I mean, I think you just I mean, if you have a goal of getting ten times your income, it, it doesn't necessarily matter where it's through. You just kind of add up those total coverages. So just look for one that's a better deal. Sometimes work will give you a good deal at a certain point and it becomes more expensive. So if it comes from two different places, that's, that's fine. It's just look at the total coverage you have. So, so I, I, my last segment was health insurance. I, it's not too robust, so I don't. If you have any questions, feel free to ask. But I think that it's noon, so I think I went over a lot. So anyway, uh, I think me and Chris will. I think we're gonna fill some questions. If you guys have any additional questions for us, and then also I think we're gonna look at the budget. Too. So um, yeah. Yeah. So that was super helpful. I, I learned some stuff there too. I learned that my takeaway is if uh, not to hit a Bugatti. Yeah. Um, so, because I'll be in financial ruin if that's, if that's the case. So, uh, fortunately, I'm not in a neighborhood that has any Bugattis around there. So, we're probably, probably good. So, um, we, wanted, we have to be out of here totally by 1230. Um, so, I mean, if you need to leave, uh, certainly you're welcome to leave at any time. Um, but we did want to have a practical. Uh, time too um, that if you want your budget looked at if you have specific budget questions or anything like that that you have time and um, there are I think a few people kind of tap some shoulders um, that uh, Bobby I think has agreed and Andre and Drew if you uh, have some specific questions and myself of course um, you can ask us if you want to ask uh, Andre some questions about insurance um, if you have Gabrielle has agreed to uh, step away from the uh, computer if you have any questions that are like hey, a, a wife's perspective on something related to budgeting then uh, she's available as well so uh, 
Any questions for the group right now before we kind of break it from there? Yes, ma'am. How much homeowner's insurance? I'm sorry? Did we ever get a recommendation for how much homeowner's insurance? Uh, you want, I think it's going to be based on the assessment value of your property. So you want to make sure that your property is assessed and that's what you want to but whose assessment? There's like five different ways to assess a house value. I would get a private assessor. I don't know. There's a state assessor. I, there's the. I, I usually just have the insurance companies say they make sure they take care of it and how do they do it? I mean, it'll be should be close enough. Okay. Sometimes the insurance company will send out um, a survey, like what kind of things you have to in your home, how many bathrooms, how many. Yeah, they, they have their own way of doing it, so I usually rely on them. I mean, because in a sense, they, they want me to get as much insurance as possible, so it's probably not going to be too little. And then I think also, um, like if something happens or something's stolen, they want proof that you had that, so that you take pictures of like your new big screen TV. You know, they want you 